All right, this morning we're continuing our study in the New Testament called For the One, and the one today is none other than John the Baptist. And so today we're going to study, not only today, but also next week, we're going to look at John the Baptist. You say, why would you take two full weeks and study his life? Well, he's a fascinating figure. If you think with me for a moment, in the New Testament, there's a lot written about this person who has that great nomenclature, he has that great title of the baptizer. And you say, well, who did he baptize that was so significant? Well, he baptized a lot of people, but preeminently he had the privilege of baptizing the Lord Jesus Christ. And so he's forever known as John the, the Baptist. You know, there's more written about John the Baptist in the New Testament than anybody except Jesus and Paul. When you see John the Baptist in the New Testament, you're, you're watching a fiery evangelist. You're watching a proclaimer, a prophet, someone who had a very unique birth, a fascinating life. He died a martyr's death. And there's one time in the Bible, and only one time, where Jesus Christ and John the Baptist were face to face. Now, I know that Mary and Elizabeth and, and Luke 1, when they visited one another and and the Holy Spirit comes into John the Baptist um, interuterine. I mean, that's a fascinating thing about it. That'll mess your theology up a little bit, you know, if you think about it. But hey, the Bible can mess our theology up. That's okay. That is a unique birth when you're filled with the Holy Spirit at birth. And we'll look at that in a moment in Luke chapter 1. And he lives this fascinating life, but there's only one time where he and Jesus Christ are like looking at each other, talking to one another, and that was at his baptism. So we're going to look at that next week. But I thought today, as we talk about the one, the one person that Jesus spent time with in this moment in his life was John the Baptist. But who is the one person that God would allow us to spend time with today? Maybe you're here today and you are a guest at Great Hills Baptist Church. I hope and I really pray that somebody will have reached out to you and ministered to you, maybe uh, invited you to lunch or at least shook your hand and said, we are so glad that you are here today. Throughout this week, I, I, I tell you, I've just been trying to have my spiritual antennas up going, who is that one, God? Who is that one person, Lord, that you want me to meet today that I might be able to encourage, that I might be able to pray for, that I might be able to invite to Great Hills. And it's amazing. It is just amazing how many people God allows us to interact with, socialize with, minister to, if it's on our radar. Sometimes I know we're hurting and we're suffering and we're looking for people to help us and minister to us, and I get that. But I really hope that due, due to this series of messages and us studying the New Testament, that we'll all come away with a deeper appreciation for the one. Remember, it's Luke chapter 15 when Jesus said, What shepherd among you will not leave the 99 who are in the fold and go find the one lost sheep? So I want to encourage you. It's one of our, it's really who we are as a church to go out and seek and save the lost, to introduce them to Christ. So last Sunday night, many of you watched it. I'm sure you did. I watched it on Fox they were showing a, a tribute to Billy Graham. It's called An Extraordinary Journey. And what a great adjective to describe the life of, of Billy Graham. And I just, I, I don't know about you, but I, I literally cried. I just wept as I was watching 
And they did an amazing job of, of just giving an expose of his life from birth all the way to his death and how Billy Graham was faithful to God to the very end. Now, he was a, he was a fiery evangelist. And, you know, before there was... Um, oh, goodness, I didn't plan on saying this today, so y'all have to help me out. Uh, oh, hold on a second. What's that? The late night talk shows... There's like a bunch of them. Who, who are some of them? Jimmy Fallon. That's one of them. Who, Jimmy Kimball's another one. Yeah, whoever those guys are. Whatever. But, but in the old days, it was Johnny Carson. <laughs> All right? And, and um, oh, I'm sorry to mention this guy, but he's kind of a rough guy. Phil Donahue, Jack Parr, and uh, Larry King. Now, Billy Graham went on all of their shows. It would be much like him going on Jimmy Kimmel Live or Jimmy Fallon. It would be just like that today. And Billy Graham would go on. I mean, the cameras were lit on him. The lights are on. And he would say, you are a sinner. <laughs> and Jesus died for your sins. He was buried on the third day. He arose from the dead. And you need to repent and be saved. You say, what? He didn't do that. Yes. And it was just as offensive then as it is today. But Billy Graham was faithful. He knew his call. He knew what God had called him to do. And he said it with a smile on his face. But he said, listen, I'm not here to be a, I'm not here to be a, a, a social person. I'm not here to be, you, you know, just, just a, a popular preacher. I am here to tell you the truth. And that's really John the Baptist. When you look at John the Baptist, I mean, this guy was strange. I mean, he ate locusts for breakfast, had a little sip of honey to go along with it, and wore goat's hair for clothing, had long hair, never cut his hair, and he had this fire in his eyes, and he was the one that God chose to be the forerunner for the Messiah. He, he's a unique guy, and I, I'm looking forward just to looking at his life with you because, I mean, you know what? I think we need more guys like that. I think we need more guys like that who are more concerned about offending God than other people. That's the famous quote of Billy Graham. He has many famous quotes. He says, in America especially, we're so concerned about offending everybody but God. And so here's this fiery prophet, this evangelist, this, this forerunner for the, for, for the Christ. And, and, and really, you can sum up John the Baptist in John 3.30 when he said this, these famous words. And it's a small passage of Scripture. It's kind of like when he looked at Jesus from a distance and he pointed at him and he said, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And he was pointing to Christ. But when he said in John 3.30, he said these words. Something like Billy Graham might say. He said, Jesus must increase, but I must decrease. And really, you wrap your mind and your heart around that phrase, it is revolutionary. Because if you see yourself as decreasing and poor in spirit, and someone that, that, that loves God and loves others, and your attempt is only to exalt Christ and to bless the Lord and to bless those around you, watch this. Then Jesus' prophecy comes to, comes to fruition. That whoever exalts himself will be humble, but the person who humbles himself will be exalted. And 2,000 years later, we're preaching an exaltation message about this evangelist named John. Well, for the one... I tell you, church, you're going to hear this a lot from me over the, oh, probably throughout the year 2018. I'm going to talk a lot about the one. Who is your one person this week 
that God would have you to meet. And I encourage you, before you leave, if you don't have our new little business cards, grab a couple of business cards out in the foyer. Because here's the, it's amazing. God loves to answer this prayer, okay? God, lay some soul upon my heart and love that soul through me this week. Oh, God, watch this. God loves to answer that prayer. If you're serious about meeting somebody that you can pray for, that you can encourage, that you can minister to, I'll, I'll make you a promise that God in heaven will orchestrate events so that you will, He will lead you into the path of someone that needs Him. So a couple weeks ago when I'm about to travel to go to South Asia, we're all excited, Brother Mike over here, Brother Fred, our team of three. We're so excited about going over to South Asia and preaching the gospel, loving on the, the people over there. And as I was getting on um, the plane on Monday, I get an email from one of our church members. You say, oh, what, what kind of email was it? Was it one of those emails? And it was. It was one of those. It's one of those that you live for as a pastor. It started out this way, dear beloved brother. That's how it started. And I've gotten emails in the past where it started off like that and they just kind of rip you apart, you know, as you go down. But this wasn't one of those. This is one of those emails that as a pastor, you, you just wish your inbox was full of emails like this. And it, he said, dearly beloved brother, he goes, thank you for preaching the word. And, and, and ooh, let, let me just, I, it means so much to me, I've got it with me in my notes, all right? So being a person of words, right? You remember that. I see you sitting back there. You're the one that wrote this. So here it says, oh, that the Holy Spirit would stir us up to never neglect the one. I traveled to Corpus Christi for a meeting yesterday, and the Lord provided opportunities for me to witness to five different people. <laughs> five people. This one brother witnessed to in one day as he's traveling. And one lady, he mentions her name, I met in front of a Starbucks restaurant, and she prayed to receive Christ. The couple approached me while I was waiting for my flight in Houston. They started a conversation with me that allowed me to share my testimony with them. I gave them the New Testament, and I shared the plan of salvation with them before we got on the plane. Wow, son. Do you know what I'm saying? That, this is like amazing email from a church member at Great Hills Baptist Church. They are from Leander. We don't hold that against them, amen. They are from Leander, and I'm reaching out to them. Thank you again for holding high the Word of God. See you when I get back. God bless you. Well, let me just die and go to heaven, all right? I mean, that's, that's the kind of emails. You said, that is not true. You made that up. Tom Ogunle, is that the truth? Did you write that email? He did. Not to mention anybody's name publicly, but... Tom wrote me this email. For the five. <laughs> Brother Mark, a new member right here, just led somebody to Christ yesterday, was sharing it with me. Had a quick in his step, had a joy in his face this morning. I said, how'd your meeting go yesterday? He goes, he prayed to receive Christ. Good night. This is just too good, y'all. This is amazing. And so I want us all to be like that, Mark and Tom and the rest of us, just going out saying, God, who is, who is the one? For Jesus, he had, he had 50 plus encounters with the one. And, and today, we're just talking about one of those encounters because he's such a fascinating figure. And I want us to, 
I want us to learn information. I want us to know John the Baptist better. Uh, we're going to look at his unique birth. We're going to look at him as a great prophet. We're going to look at him as a baptizer. And we're going to look at his life and his ministry. And we're going to do all of that before noon. Do y'all believe that? Say amen. amen. If you don't, say oh my. Oh my. <laughs> we're going to do it. The biography of John the Baptist is number one. If you got your outline there, this is great. We're going to look at it. As I said earlier, his life just warrants much attention. So much written about him in Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. L.R. Scarborough, who was the second president of Southwestern Seminary, said this about John. He said he was a reformer, a prophet, a mighty preacher, but he was preeminently an evangelist. He was a soul-winning preacher. It is significant that Jesus Christ was introduced to the world by a man whose primary credential was... He was a conquering evangelist. And he stands out after all of these centuries as one of the most powerful soul winners the world has ever seen. End of quote. By the way, I love that old terminology. I love that phraseology of being a soul winner. I read in my quiet time, uh, he who wins souls is wise. And we, uh, that's where we get this whole concept of being a soul winner. Listen, we have souls all around us. And if we are sensitive to it and we're cognizant of the fact that God loves them and God wants to be in relationship with them, then we're more prone to talk to them, encourage them, and, and pray. It's fascinating to me that all four gospel writers contain the same phrasing as Isaiah 43. In fact, Matthew 3, 3, um, it says that there is a prophet a-coming. And he is predicted 700 years prior in the book of Isaiah. And here he comes on the scene in all four... By the way, guys, that's, that's very uncommon. There's only a few times when four, all four gospel writers say the same thing about the same person. Now, the synoptics, you know, the Matthew, Mark, and Luke, they, you know, they, they put it in their own words, and I get that. And John, when they all come together and say, this man, John the Baptist, is the prophecy fulfilled from Isaiah of old. Talking about a word of compliment, look what Jesus said about John. John the Baptist was the greatest person ever born. <laughs> wow. You say, come again? Did Jesus really give that high title and that compliment to him? He did. He said, most assuredly, I say to you, those born among women, I love that little phrase because that would be everybody, right? You, you, you've got to be born of woman, okay? And, and, and so Jesus is basically saying, everybody that's ever been born, there ain't nobody better, better or greater than that guy, my cousin, John the Baptist. But Jesus went on to say, he who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Now, we're familiar with John, but I want us to get even more familiar with him because my, my desire as we study the New Testament is to do these biographical studies and hold these people up as examples so that we can emulate their example, we can imitate their praiseworthy qualifications and characteristics. And by the way, all of us live and all of us emanate a lifestyle that's either worthy of following, or it's not worthy. But John the Baptist is worthy. There's only really one time in the Bible where he just, he just suffers from depression, and he gets discouraged, and he begins to doubt. And by the way, I've noticed a lot of great men of God suffered and struggled with often 
Dunsken is what Luther called it. He said that he said it's just the spiritual depression, this discouragement that comes over me. Charles Haddon Spurgeon, he said, I deal with this on a, almost on a daily basis. And I think John the Baptist dealt with it. And you see these fiery evangelists and these great preachers and you see these extroverted guys in the limelight and they're, and they're preaching. But deep within there's this herd and there's this discouragement that comes over them. And John had that moment in prison when he doubted whether Jesus was really the Messiah. But let's look at his life. First of all, there's a unique birth about John. In Luke chapter 1 verse 15, I kid you not, it says it in the Bible. It says that John the Baptist will be filled with the Holy Spirit in Elizabeth's womb. It's Luke chapter 1. You read verses like 11 through 17. It's the story of John the Baptist's birth. It reminds me a lot of the birth of Jeremiah. In Jeremiah chapter 1 verse 5 it says, Jeremiah, before you were ever born, I set you apart. I ordained you as a prophet to the nations. Now, let me just be careful what I'm about to say. I am no John the Baptist, and I am no Jeremiah, but I'm telling you, God created me to do one thing, and really one thing only, and that is to proclaim the name of Jesus Christ. I remember sitting in my bedroom at 15 years of age preaching a sermon. I'm 15. You said, man, you are strange. There are not many 15-year-olds in their bedroom. You may have a psychiatrist check you out or something. There's something strange about that. I know that's strange. I'm sitting in my bedroom. I'm, I'm literally sitting on, my, on the edge of my bed, and I'm rehearsing a sermon. I have no congregation. I don't even know the Lord. I'm not even a Christian, and, I am, and I'm practicing a sermon that maybe one day I would preach. Y'all looking at me like, like I'm strange. That's just the fact. God does that with some people. God chooses them, he selects them to be prophets and preachers, and they're going to get saved. That's right. That, that makes, you know, you, you got to do that. And so we come to know the Lord at, at 19, and that's all I've done. And that's all I ever want to do is just proclaim the name of Jesus. By the way, all of you have a unique birth. The Bible says in Psalm 139, you are fearfully and wonderfully made. That God crafted you. He formed you in your mother's womb. Before you ever took a breath. I mean, God the Father, He created you and crafted you in such a way. There's no DNA quite like your DNA. There's no face quite like your face. There's no human anatomy quite like yours. I mean, you are unique. You are special. God threw away the mold. God fashioned you and God loves you. Somebody needed to hear that today. And it's, it's, a, it's a good word. Oh, I watched Oprah the other day on, on the movie screen. What was it? A Wrinkle in Time. And I felt wrinkled when I came out of that thing. It was an interesting movie. And there were some good parts in it, and it, it, but it's really a real pagan universe you know, kind of movie. And Oprah pr plays this part, though, and there are some scenes in there that are very powerful. And I'd recommend you see the movie just for some of the scenes and some of the biblical motifs, though they won't refer to the Bible to refer to Jesus. But there's a section there where she is affirming this young heroine of the story. And she looks at her deep within her soul and, and she goes, you are special. You have, a, you have a purpose. You have a destiny for your life. Can I just say that's true for all of us? All of us are special. All of us have a destiny. All of us have a purpose that only we can fulfill. Now, John the Baptist was very unique. I, I know. Filled with the Holy Spirit even before, even before he came into this world. Second thing I want you to notice with me that he was a prophet of God. 
A prophet of God that was predicted in Isaiah 700 years before, now he comes on the scene. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, I mentioned it a moment ago. And John the Baptist offended people. And prophets offend people. Here's the thing that's interesting about prophets. They say things you don't want to hear, but you need to hear. Let me say that again. Prophets say things that are unpopular. Maybe you really don't want to hear it, but deep down within your soul, you you crave for it because you you do need uh, to hear it. And Billy Graham had that. He he would say it with with a smile on his face, but he would still say, you're a sinner, you're a sinner. You know what I'm saying? You need Christ. And and he would would say that one-on-one with people, and then he would would preach it to the multitudes. And they they said his family would testify that he was the exact same person in private as he was in public. And, And I believe that's one of the reasons why we don't have as many prophet pastor preachers today. And I'm going to tell you why. Because in order to preach like that, you've got to live like that. There's not many willing to preach the hard messages because they're not living it and they know that there's duplicity and hypocrisy so they can't preach it. Number two, there's not many prophetic, powerful, you know, preaching in the sense of John the Baptist because lots of congregations don't want to hear it. And so you got a, you got a lethal combination. you got a pastor that wants to be popular and wants your money and wants you to join his church. And then you have a congregation that wants to be made feel good. I mean, don't, I don't want to feel too guilty. I, I want to be, I want, like, this is my best life now and forever. When, when I come, I, I want to feel this good. And, and so you got this lethal combination of, of, of a pastor that wants to appease you and a people who wants to be appeased, and therefore that prophetic element dissipates. There's an interesting article in the Wall Street Journal, that great bastion of theological conservatism, and it's in the Wall Street Journal, Brett McCracken wrote an article about wannabe cool Christianity. And I want to read a couple of excerpts from this article from the Wall Street Journal of all places, which is fascinating to me. He said, many have sought to be cool, trendy, technologically savvy, and sexy in the pulpit. Too sexy for my shirt, too sexy for my son. You know, what in the world? He said, but these are gimmicks, really, are they going to bring young people back to church? Is this what people really come to church for? Maybe sex sermons and indie rock worship music do help in getting people in the door. And maybe they even win converts. But what sort of Christianity are they being converted to? He then goes on to quote David Wells and says, The born-again marketing church has calculated that unless it makes deep... God forgive us. But unless we make deep, serious cultural adaptations, it will go out of business, especially with the younger generation. What it has not considered carefully enough is that it may be putting itself out of business with God. This guy is a millennial. He's a 20-something-year-old writing this article about evangelical Christendom in America today. 
If the evangelical Christian leadership thinks that cool Christianity is a sustainable path forward, they are severely mistaken. I am a 20-something. I can say with confidence that when it comes to church, we don't want cool, we want real. That's what he said. We don't, we don't want cool, we want what is real. If we are interested in Christianity in any sort of serious way, it's not because it's easy or trendy or popular. It's because Jesus is amazing. Jesus himself is very appealing. And what he says rings true. It's because the world we inhabit is utterly phony, ephemeral, narcissistic, image-obsessed, and sex-drenched. And we want an alternative. It's not because we want more of the same. End of quote. And Brett McCracken's a prophet. He's a modern-day John the Baptist saying like it is. And this is what I found, too. And I'm, I'm 53 years old, and... I'm, you know, I, I, I'm like Coach Mike Shusesky in that way. I like to hang out with, with young people because it keeps me young and it, it keeps my ear on, on the pavement of what is going on in, in the culture. But what I'm hearing from 20, and I have three 20-year-olds, Ashley and I do. It takes two, baby. It does. It takes us two. And we have three 20-year-olds. And, and I think they would agree with this article that it's not so much the cool, the sexy, the savvy, the technological. That What they want is the real deal. They want Jesus. And Jesus is very attractive. It's just we as preachers try to water him down because we're not living the message we need to proclaim. Wow. <sighs> well, let me just say this before I, before I go. Say, where are you going? Point three. That's where I'm going. Um, 2 Timothy 4.2 says, Karuksan tan lagan. Preach the word, Timothy. Preach the word of God. Be ready in season. Hold on. Watch this. Have you ever read this verse and say, what does that mean? Be ready in season and out of season. I'm going to give you an interpretation of what that means. I believe it means, Timothy, preach the gospel. Preach the word of God when they want to hear it and when they don't want to hear it. Because they need it. Timothy, you preach the word when you feel like it. Anybody? And when you don't feel like it. Look at the next part. It says, convince, rebuke. What? Rebuke? Part of my job is to rebuke you. You know, you keep on rebuking me. I'm just going to leave. I'm going to go find me another church. Well, tell me how that goes for you. Because when that pastor steps on your toes, what are you going to do? Find you another church? He says, convince, rebuke, exhort with all patience. Watch this. And with teaching. So Paige Patterson, he said this a few years ago. He goes, we got lots of great preachers, but where are our teachers today? Who is going to teach us the Word of God? Well, John the Baptist would come on the scene. He would say, that's all I got. <laughs> all I have is, it's all about him. It's all about this guy. He must increase and be elevated, and I must decrease. In fact, let me tell you this. I am not even worthy. Remember that text? John the Baptist said, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals on his shoes. You think I'm something? I'm only coming and baptizing you with water. Watch this. This guy... He'll baptize you with fire. 
He'll baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Here he comes. Look out, because here I come. Hey, hey, y'all know that? Y'all looking at me strange. I don't know why all these songs are coming to my head. That's from The Greatest Showman, by the way. Thank you. You're, you're welcome. I think John the Baptist would say, look out. Here he comes. And here he comes. The Son of God who will take away the sins of the world. And Jesus comes up to John. He goes, hello, cousin. And John's like, wow, how's it going? And Jesus says, baptize me. What? That's what we're going to talk about next week, by the way. We're going to talk about what, it, what happened, what transpired in the Jordan River when John the Baptist baptized Jesus. So C is baptizer, and that's all you get on point C because next week we'll talk about that. The last thing is his life and his ministry. There's some characteristics of his life I want to just you to jot down. The first one is the word passion. You cannot describe John the Baptist without using this adjective of passion. Inexorably passionate for Christ. It's going to be costly. He would tell the Pharisees and the scribes, you're a bunch of, you're a bunch of thieves, you're a bunch of liars, you're a bunch of snakes in the grass is what you are. Listen, you can't preach like that and have people love you. I mean, and people like you. And John the Baptist said, I'm not, I'm not here for people to love me and like me. I'm here to exalt him. And I'm here to set the record straight that this religiosity that we've got ourselves in and keeping all the ramifications of the law, and, and we're so duty-bound we can't even help our neighbor on the Sabbath, that is ridiculous. There he is. He will come and he will set us straight. And he'd point to Jesus. And Jesus did come. And he did set us straight. He had passion. He confronted. He trained. He blazed a trail. I would rather die a passionate death than live a hundred lives of mundane mediocrity. I don't have many originals, but I'm going to give you that one more time. I'd rather live one and die one passionate life and death than to live a hundred lives of mundane mediocrity where my Christianity never left the doors of the church. For the one. For Jesus, it's John right now. Who is our one this week? Who, who are we going to go out? Listen, guys. We, we, you and me, we might get the privilege of introducing to the world the next Billy Graham. Mordecai Ham had no idea what was going down that day in Charlotte, North Carolina, a hundred years ago when he's preaching. And that young 16-year-old, tall, lanky country boy comes down the aisle and gives his life to Christ. And Mordecai Ham, how many of y'all ever heard that name? Except you Bible theologues and historians, you know who Mordecai Ham is. But how many of you knew Mordecai Ham was the guy that was preaching when Billy Graham got saved? It could be that you and I could invite somebody to Great Hills Baptist Church. They hear the Word of God preached. They give their lives to Christ. They, they surrender to the gospel ministry, and they go and preach the gospel to the nations. That may, be, that may be your assignment. That may be part of my assignment. Hey, listen, you never know till you ask. And by the way, while I'm here, how many of you young men are called to preach the gospel? Don't, don't raise your hand. How many of you are called to preach the gospel. You say, I see you up there doing it, brother. I don't want to have anything to do with that. It scares the jibbies out of me. I just know I don't want to do that. I didn't either. <laughs> I didn't have a choice. 
Listen, if God calls you, you better give it up. Because the hounds of heaven are come nipping at your heels. <laughs> and you'll run the rest of your life. And let, me, let me say this. I hadn't planned on saying this, but here it is. In my ministry, and now 30 plus years of preaching the Bible, the most miserable men I've ever met were men who were called of God and they said no. It's true, ain't it, preacher? James, it's true, ain't it? They were called of God. And they said no. This breaks my heart. We have all these ladies that are journeymen. Hillary? Where'd Hillary go? I'm, I'm looking for Hillary. There you are. Praise God for Hillary that went to China for two years. I can't remember the last time a man went for two years. Where, where, are, the, where are the men of God? who are called of God to go and preach the word of God and take my job, take my place. I give it, give it over to you. We, we need young men of God who are going to be called of God, filled with the Spirit of God, have a prophetic edge about them, not being mean but just preaching the truth and then leading the church of God to do even greater things than what we've done. Where are you? Some of you young men, your, your heart's beating like kaboom, kaboom, kaboom. And the Holy Spirit's saying, that's me, that's me, that's me. You need to surrender. We need to do a better job of calling out the called. I need to do a better job of that. So I'm calling you out. Passion. Next week we'll, we'll look more at John the Baptist. And then we're going to come to that moment when Jesus Christ is baptized by John. And Jesus' life is never the same. The Holy Spirit comes upon him. You have this triune moment of Father, Son, and Spirit at the baptism. And we're going to look at that next, uh, next week. So as I close today, let, let me say a couple things to you. Number one, what is your next step? Some of you need to take... You take a step toward God in faith, belief that Jesus Christ is who he says he is and you want to become his follower. You want to become his servant. And if that is you today, let, let me encourage you with this, that the Bible says whoever calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. That if you confess with your mouth Jesus is, anybody? Lord and you believe in your heart God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. So what you're doing is you're saying, Jesus, you take the reins of my life, and I gladly give it over to you because I've made a mess of my life. You take it. You, you just do with me whatever you want to do with me. I wonder if there's anybody here today who would do that, would be so bold to say, I'm giving my life to Christ today. Some are here today, and your next step is to come off of the couch of complacency and apathy and the chameleon blending in with the crowd, and you need to step on out and say, I'm one of those. So like it. <laughs> There's such a trend in America to come out of the closet. Why don't you come out? Why don't you come out? Why don't you come out and say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I don't care who knows it. I was thinking about this today. Lord, we live in a very interesting culture. We live in Austin, Texas, that is 
I mean, it is ramped up, hard-charging, 11th largest city in America, and it is not slowing down. And it's like there's just, there's just this world out there of humanism and atheism and all these isms. And, and it's like, yeah, that's where you are. But look out what God's going to do. God is going to save people, raise up prophets and evangelists and pastors and apostles and teachers. Why? For the equipping of the saints for the work of ministry. So some of you may be called to the ministry. No, some of you are. And so why don't you surrender? Some of you, your next step is to come on and become a part of Great Hills Baptist Church. And I got good news for you. You can't come now because the class is is full. You got to wait till next time. But when that next time comes, do like a bunch of these guys are doing on Sunday mornings. For three Sundays, say, I'm I'm in. I want to be a part of what, what God is doing in this church, in this city for such a time as this. Okay, let's, let's pray together. I want to pray for you. I want to have our invitation, and I want nobody moving around. I want to just be as still and as quiet as we can, except for our worship ministry team as they come and lead us. If you're here today and you would say, Brother Danny, that's me. I'm, I'm that guy. I'm that gal that needs Christ, and I'm ready to surrender my life to Him. Then here's what I want you to do. I just want you to come to the Lord in prayer and just... You say, I don't know what to pray. I've never prayed. Well, let me help you with this. Just right where you are, right where you're seated, on the live stream, you're watching us on live stream somewhere, wherever you may be, you just call out to God and just say, God, help me. Say, God, I need you. I surrender my life to you. Now, when you do that, when you say just those very simple words, Lord, I'm surrendering my life to you, then you're repenting, you're turning by faith to Christ as the Spirit of God draws you to Himself. Why don't you do that right now? And we'll rejoice with you. We will celebrate with you. We will baptize you. We will do everything we can to help nurture you and grow you in your faith. God bless you. Welcome. Welcome to the family of God. Before you leave today, let somebody know. Walk down this Baptist church aisle. Tell somebody about your decision today to commit your life to Christ. Others of you here today, is God calling you? You could be the next Billy Graham. You could be the next John the Baptist. You you could be the next Lottie Moon or Hillary Hogan over here. You you can do that. If God is calling you, then God always equips those that he calls. Information without application always leads to frustration. I've given you lots of information. Would you say, Holy Spirit, apply it to my life today? I am that person. I come by faith receiving you. I come by faith for baptism. I come to unite with this church. I come. Lord, I come to the altar just to pray, to say, thank you, God. Use me, God, afresh and anew. I'm I'm surrendering my life to the King. Lord, we love you. We commit this invitation to you, this sacred time. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.